The word of the day is greed, and greed is good. I'll tell you exactly what I mean in just a second here on Locked on Jaguars. You are Locked on Jaguars, your daily Jacksonville Jaguars podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for joining me, Tony Wiggins, your host of the Locked On Jaguars podcast. We're at your team every day. And as always, we thank you for making us your first listen. Quick reminder that we are free on all platforms. Wherever you get your podcast, it does not matter. Locked On Jaguars is right there, and you do not have to pay. We also have that YouTube page up on the Locked On Jaguars YouTube page. Come on in and like and subscribe and enjoy the visual of me doing this show every single day. I am Tony Wiggins, as I said before, and if you're new to the show, welcome to Locked On Jaguars. We like to say we are your first listen, and it's your team every day. I want to talk about greed and greed being good. It's never really good, but in the case and the vernacular that I'm using it, it is very good because I'm really talking about every position, but I'm laser focused on the tight end position. And the reason why I am focused on the tight end position, if you're a Jaguar fan, you know the greatest tight end to ever lace up a Jaguar uniform is Mercedes Lewis. And that's fine. I love Mercedes. Mercedes has had a long career and he's conducted himself with a lot of class, but he hasn't been here for four or five years. He's been in Green Bay. The Jaguars had a hard time finding another tight end until last year when they signed Evan Ingram to a little bit of a prove-it deal for one year at $10 million. Well, they just franchise tagged him, so I guess somebody did a whole lot of proving. Uh, the Jaguars are still obviously going to work out a long-term attempt to work out a long-term deal with Evan Ingram to get rid of that franchise tag and and you know, to ease up the salary cap a little bit and get some more salary cap space. But more importantly, they just want one of Trevor Lawrence's top uh, offensive weapons to know that he has a home and to make Trevor feel good and give Evan Ingram a long-term deal. He proved a lot last year, even to me. And I was a big Evan Ingram fan. When he came out of college, it's just that somehow – in some way, things didn't go for him in New York. You know, New Yorkers like that, but usually it's like that with baseball players. You ever notice these guys are very, very good at what they do, and then all of a sudden they go to the Yankees and they have to cut their beard off, and they're never really, really good with the Yankees? That happened to a lot of players. Jeff Knobloch, it happened to. Uh, Teixeira, the first baseman, it happened to him. And there are some people that I think, kind of stayed away from the Yankees for a long time because either they didn't want to cut their facial hair or they just knew that the pressure was going to be too much. Well, in football, that rarely happens, but I think that had something to do with Evan Ingram and then probably wasn't using him correctly. And well, he got here and he came to the tight end whisperer because Doug Peterson has always had a tight end, whether it was him as a head coach or an assistant coach, 
that was able to go out and get it done. I mean, get it done and be a focal point of the offense. And there are a lot of folks that have a little bit of a double standard when it comes to Evan Ingram because in my robust uh, defense of the fact that I did not think that the Jaguars needed to move on from Jawan Taylor. And I think they probably tried to re-sign Jawan Taylor. However, it looks like Jawan Taylor is going to get to the free agent market if the Jaguars don't work a deal out. And there's a chance that a 25-year-old proven the best offensive lineman you had is going to be playing somewhere else. Now, I know you have to pick and choose who you decide to retain because you can't keep everybody. My opinion, I'd rather have Jawan Taylor than Cam Robinson, but they re-upped Cam Robinson last year. And these are the type of things that you get into when you re-up a guy one year and the next year you let a guy go who's actually been more dependable and, and probably better. It's, it's really, really weird to me that they did that. And uh, I understand why they did it. I would have much preferred them to, to play Cam Robinson on the franchise tag la- last year. And then he would be free and clear to move on. And they could have used that money to re-sign Jawan Taylor and then just plug Walker Little in at left tackle. It's not what happened, though. So here we are. And they retained Evan Ingram. So that now gives, with the addition of Calvin Ridley, that gives the Jaguars one heck of a target room for their franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. That means Calvin Ridley is your one. Uh, Christian Kirk is your two, who was dynamic last year. Zay Jones is your very, very reliable three. All three of those guys can uh, can get deep down the field. And then you have Evan Ingram, who can clean up a lot of stuff and is a mismatch for a lot of people underneath. So let's just say they get him to a guaranteed three-year deal and they are able to extend it. Why am I saying the Jaguars need to be greedy? Because the Jaguars carried three or four tight ends last year. I believe it was four. You carry four tight ends last year and you have um, two of them that are free agents. I believe Chris Manhurts and Dan Arnold are free agents. And then you have another kid, the kid out of Ohio State, that's still on a bit of a rookie deal, but he hasn't really distinguished himself. I'm not saying you need to get rid of him. What I'm saying is you need two guys and you don't have to bring those two guys back that are about to be set free on the market. This is a chance for you, if you're the Jaguars, to use a third or a fourth round pick on a developmental prospect in a draft that is super deep with tight ends that will give you a chance to have a dual threat tight end to pair with Evan Ingram in the future. And at some point you have to draft and develop guys and have guys under contract for four years because the Jaguars are no longer going to be massive players in free agency. I know that there's a lot of talk about Foster Moreau, who's a free agent and maybe taking a flyer on him. But when you do that, you don't sign those guys to long-term deals unless they're proven. And then if you do, you got to give them way more money than you'll have to give a rookie. So, my thing is, is get another one. We don't go draft a draft thinking that, okay, well, we can address this need this year and that need next year unless you look at the board and unless you absolutely understand exactly where the depth is with all of these different positions. And this year, this year, the Jaguars are in a position – And I wouldn't do it in the first round because 
if you're signing Evan Ingram, you don't draft another tight end. Although they could, if they love Luke Musgrave or Dalton Kincaid or somebody that much, they could actually pull it off and get away with it. And nobody's going to care that they kind of got redundant at positions as long as when you get redundant, those guys are very, very productive, right? So nobody will care. I'm going to tell you where I got this individual thought from. Name some teams that have multiple tight ends that always seem like they have a tight end, despite the fact that they already have a really, really good tight end on their roster. So we'll discuss that in segment two, give you the benefits of it, but we'll also tell you the negatives of using your draft pick on a tight end that are super, super obvious. But I'm not going to speedball it. I'll get to that material. I'm not going to be like a comedian that's only got a few minutes. We've got 30 minutes. So I'm going to explain all of that to you, why I believe the pros and the cons, with the pros and the cons, why the Jaguars should be greedy when it comes to the tight end position. I'll do all of that in just a second here on Locked on Jaguars after I let you know that today's sponsor is Built Bar. Love Built Bar. You guys know it, and you know how I love Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, then you got to try a Built Bar. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're all covered in 100% chocolate, and there are some people, real chocolate, and there are some people that say, you can stop right there. We don't need to hear anything else, but I'm going to keep going. They're unbelievable. They come with unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. That's right. And now you don't need to wait around for your box of Built Bars to be delivered to you because I used to send you online to do it. Now, if you're near a Walmart or Sam's Club, you can get it right now. If you go into the pharmacy department of the Walmart, you can get a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. If you're close to a Sam's Club, just run in and grab a 13-bar box with your greedy self with our hit flavors, brownie, batter and churro you can thank me later for telling you about the healthy goodness of bill bar all right running it down here on locked on jaguars talking about tight ends talking about being greedy meaning the more the merrier first i got this by watching teams like philly and baltimore and even kc just every single year, just always have. Now, I know if you go look at the stats, you're not going to see this big long list of guys that have these gaudy stats behind the starters. That's not the point. The point is, is they have guys in development. And every now and then they have guys that when you're paying too much attention to one dude, that'll mess you up and it'll score a point. It happened to the Jaguars when they played Kansas City during the regular season. It happened to the Jaguars when they played Baltimore when one of the former Jaguars, Josh Oliver, had a very good day. You have to have the capability of doing that when you play against a good team. And the Jaguars were a good team playing both the, the Chiefs and at the time the Ravens. People didn't know they were good with the Ravens because they were making – that's the beginning of the time and they were starting to make their run. But this is what happens when teams force you to go away from your normal weapons, and that is you have to have something even it's – if it's not game in and game out, the threat of it, and then not only the threat of it, but having it actually manifest itself in a big game. Those one or two games really matters. If you don't think that a one or two games matter, the Jaguars got in the playoffs on the last game of the year, right? And then in the playoffs, if you're able to get away with something that people don't expect, that means you advance and you don't go home early 
like a lot of teams. Sometimes, how many playoff games did you see and look back and you say, man, if we could have just made one more play? Right. And sometimes that one more play can be made because of the threat of something as opposed to actually having it. But if you don't have it and people know that you don't have it and you never put it out there um, to be tested, then it's not a threat and it makes you, it gives you a less dimension that you'll have um, as a quarterback and as a football team to try to score more points. So why is it important to Jacksonville? Well, there's a bit of a double standard. This is what I talked about earlier with Juwan Taylor that I, I kind of veered away from it, but I'm going to bring you back to it now. When I bring up Juwan Taylor, folks are like, he's been here four years. He was okay as a rookie. He had two off years. And then this last year, which was a contract year wig, he played the best that he's ever played. I don't trust it. Okay, but you trust the dude that had four years in New York that didn't play well with the Giants, and the Giants let him go, and then he comes here, and under Doug Peterson, he has his best season. Why do you trust that when you don't trust the other thing? They have one thing in common. Both of them, have, they played their first year, their best year, under Doug Peterson, which either means that Doug Peterson is the whisperer at these positions, or Doug Peterson just a better coach and put up a better system, had better offensive design, and had better coaches, and had a better culture than anybody else. So those two things kind of cancel each other. Those things kind of cancel each other out because it can't be good for Evan and not good for Juwan, right? But I will agree with you with this. Doug Peterson is the quarter of the tight end whisperer. Doug Peterson is someone who relies heavily on the tight end position being productive. And they seem to know how to get the most out of these guys, and they seem to know exactly how to make those guys productive. Well, if you know that and you're good at it, why don't you just go out and get two more young guys that you can shape and mold in your image? It would seem like to me, that's why I say don't give up on the kid from Ohio State that they picked uh, in the same draft as Trevor Lawrence. But you can go out and get two more. You don't have to bring back these veteran dudes. Go out and grab two more guys, and guess what? That need and your expertise lines right up with this draft because there are some very, very good tight ends in this draft. And in segment three, I'm going to tell you about some of them and what they bring to the table. I think the Jaguars, since Trent Baalke has told everyone, look, the days of the Jaguars spinning huge and free agency is over. Sometimes that doesn't mean giving somebody a blockbuster deal the way that they gave Christian Kirk. Sometimes it means going out and getting, getting a veteran and a veteran backup at these critical positions that you have to pay more than you do a draft pick at those same spots. So when Trent Baalke says we're going to draft and develop, that is exactly what he's talking about. It's not just not signing free agents to huge deals, but it's not overpaying for backups because you don't trust your ability to draft and develop. See, these things work hand in hand. So I always say that I use someone's words, not, a, not, not against them, but I use their words as truth until they prove to me that their words aren't truth. So we try to tie all of this stuff together and go, well, is it a good idea for them to draft a tight end? Yeah. And some people think that, well, they need other things. Of course they do. Everybody needs other things. But in this draft, some of the things that they need, they're not going to be able to get. 
I would rather force my hand at a position that is strong in this draft, like depth at the offensive line position, depth at wide receiver, depth at tight end, depth at edge rush, depth at corner, as opposed to forcing a position of need or a position that is higher on the list in terms of value. I just want a good player. And in this draft, there are a bunch of good players. I'm going to tell you who those players are. We're going to do it here in just a second on Locked on Jaguars in segment number three. Hang tough, and we'll get right to that. All right, segment three here. We're talking about tight ends, talking about why it is important for the Jaguars to be greedy and address the tight end position, I believe, in the draft. They have Evan Ingram. They're going to pay him a boatload of money, right? So this goes along with my be careful how much you allocate to every single position in every room. If you go out and get two veterans, you're going to have to pay those dudes about $2 million a piece, at least in my opinion. So that's another $4 million if you get two. Some guys may want a little more than that. So let's just say $5 million to get two tight ends, and that's their cap number without any bonuses, right? That $5 million total. So that would mean with Evans, $11 million. That's $16 million to that room. That's too much. And considering that you also have another kid already there, that's $17 million. It's just a little too much. I'm not saying you need to go out here and get a tight end in the first round. I would be tempted in the second round if one falls to me that I really like. But I mean in the third or the fourth round. And then maybe double it down and come back in the fifth round and get another player. Or if you move down uh, from round one and you're able to get another extra three, get one in the third and one in the fourth. I'll give you an example. Baltimore, I told you I was going to mention some teams. Baltimore, I mentioned the fact that, of course, they have Josh Oliver, who's a free agent also. But their starter was Mark Andrews one of the three or four best tight ends in the league, and he might not be three or four. They still drafted Isaiah, Light, Isaiah Lively or Likely last year in the draft, and when Mark Andrews was out, Likely was a pass-catching fool out there for the Ravens. And now the Ravens know that they have something behind them. When Dallas Goddard got hurt last year, Philly lost some production at the tight end position, but they still had enough at the tight end position that they weren't totally handicapped at that spot. You know, I, I mentioned the Chiefs already. They always have – it seems like Seattle always has one too, like the Will Disley types. These guys always show up and, and play. Denver. Denver seems to always have a tight end, regardless of who the quarterback is. I remember the Patriots had two. They had Gronk, and then they had the late Aaron Hernandez, of course. But that's – the the team of destiny, the dynasty team, the biggest dynasty in the history of the league, depended on multiple tight ends who were amongst their best players. So outside of Tom Brady, of course, both of those guys were probably in the top 10 as New England's best players. So I want to copycat these teams that are winning, especially if I have a coach that loves the tight end position. I have a staff that has done a, a, a really good job with the tight end position and an offense that is dependent. And I have a young quarterback, so I'm going to be greedy. Let me run it down to you according to PFF. I don't necessarily agree with this list. Dalton Kincaid is the number one guy. He's expected to go in the top 20. I like Dalton Kincaid out of Utah. He's a very, very good player. I saw him firsthand when they played against the University of Florida. He played real well. 
Michael Mayer is not really my flavor, even though he's a good player, but he's 265 pounds. He's a big guy. He's he's a little slow, right? He's a little – some people compare him to Greg Olson. I, I don't think he's Greg Olson, but that's cool, right? Um, comes from Notre Dame. I get it. My The third one is my favorite, which is Luke Musgrave, but I don't think the Jaguars, one, are going to take him at 24. Two, he's ain't going to be there at 56. I think he has Kelsey Goddard, Zachert's ability written all over him, and I think he's going to play for a long time. A wild card here is Sam Laporta from Iowa. First of all, guys from Iowa that play this position always seem to turn out, but he's a scrappy fighter who can catch it and break tackles, and he was a better athlete at the combine than I thought. And, of course, Darnell Washington. Super freak, 6'7, 270 pounds, and might be as athletic or more athletic than anyone else in this draft. Now, Washington, of all of these guys, is the one that is the dual threat dude. He's a blocker, he's an inline blocker, a traditional tight end, but he also can get out here and catch. So, if you ask me who the most complete guy is, it's probably Darnell Washington, and he's also the most freaky guy. But to me, I still think that. What's great is just for today's game is where it's at. Tucker Craft is another kid from South Dakota State. I believe Tucker Craft started out at Penn State, 6'5", 255. Measurables were real good at the combine. People are more or less worried about um, uh, competition. Luke Shoemaker. I thought Shoemaker should have been ranked higher earlier. He's 6'6", 250. He wasn't. I thought his tape reflected that. And then he goes to the combine, blows it up, and now he's catapulted into the top 100 on PFF, and a lot of people like him. Zach Koontz from Old Dominion, 6'8", 245. Unless it's Jimmy Graham, I ain't touching it. Davis Allen at 6'6", 250 at Clemson. is a pretty decent player from a good program. Josh Wiley, Wiley at 6'6", 250 from Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati's players have been well-trained. They have been coached extremely well and they adapt and 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 really translate well to the nfl will mallory a kid a local kid from here in jacksonville tested very well uh is probably gonna be a better player than he showed in college because he just didn't have a quarterback or a coach in, that, in my opinion at the university of miami he's 6'5 245 not the most muscular guy in the world but uh a good nutrition and weight program in the nfl will change that and then my last one that i'll mention is cameron latu He's 6'5", 244 from Alabama. Sort of, he's a little slow now. He got caught from behind in a game that really needed him to get to the end zone, but that's okay. He gets the job done, and he's also a good blocker and comes from a very demanding college program. So those are some of the guys to look at that the Jaguars will have an opportunity to draft and get greedy with the tight end position of the NFL draft. More draft talk as we get closer to free agency. Next week, we'll talk about some free agents, even though the Jaguars aren't going to be very, very active, but something might tempt them. And they might not have to be paying a boatload of money for players because teams know that they're very good and everyone wants to play with a winner, especially when you have the quarterback position filled already. So we'll talk about that more next week on Locked on Jaguars. Take care of each other. Enjoy yourselves. We'll see you back here on another edition of Locked on Jaguars.